listening to the weekly podcast of Bethel Bible Church and Pastor Mark Kirkendall. We're so glad you've joined us today. And as always, you can find more information about the church at our website, BethelBible.com. You can find us on Facebook and even follow us on Twitter at Bethel Bible. Let's join Sunday service now. And so this morning, let's go back to Ephesians. And Clint did such a great job of kicking things off for us last week. <clears throat> so I want to remind us about a couple of things. One, Paul is writing this letter to the saints, as we saw last week, in Ephesus. In fact, you turn to Acts 28. It shows us where Paul is. That Paul, when he writes this letter, he is in prison in Rome, chained to a guard. And that is where he writes this book to Ephesians. Or the people in Ephesians. The book has two major sections. The first three we're walking through. Chapters 1 through 3 are the, the doctrinal. It's, it's what we need to believe. It's this vertical focus about what God has done. In our position in Christ. These are truths that we are to hold on to and to claim. Well then we're going to get to the second half eventually. In chapters 4 through 6. And it's all the practical things. It's how do you take these truths and now how do you live them out? What are we to do? It's this uh, kind of uh, vertical focus or horizontal focus of now this is us. How do we do these truths? How do we live this out? Call it our duty, our calling, filling these commands. And this book is about one major theme. It's the theme of unity. Do we have unity with God and then unity with others? But here's how we're saying it. It's grace made visible. God's grace to us, chapters 1 through 3. Then our grace towards others in chapters 4 through 6. In fact, the only way to really true, authentic unity, it always happens through grace. And so this morning, I want to lead us in verses 3 through 14. So let me read this for us. We're going to read this passage and then we will pray. Beginning in verse 3, it says, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him in love. He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of his will. To the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him we have redemption through his blood. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. Which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have attained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. So that we, who were the first to hope in Christ, might be the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard of the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit, 
who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's pray. Our Lord and our God, your word is truth. Your word is satisfying. It grows us up. It makes us disciples. It gives us assurance and, and confidence and hope. And we pray that you would speak to us this morning by your word. And that we would understand it and believe it. So this morning we pray for the guidance of your spirit to help us in this. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, amen and amen. Well this morning I want to start by talking about something that I believe was made very popular by a guy named David Letterman. It was a late night talk show and David Letterman started doing a thing where he would bring up a, a top 10 list. And I don't have many claims to fame, and this one isn't about me personally, but David Letterman had once a top 10 list of the 10 worst or strangest mascots in high school sports. And I grew up in a small town in northwest Arkansas called Ozark, about 2,200, 2,300 people. And we made that list because we were the Ozark hillbillies. And it's exactly what you're picturing. Corn cob pipe, big hat, would shoot a shotgun at the game, you know, moonshiner kind of carried a big jug. And that was our mascot. And so we made the strangest or weirdest or maybe the best, however you want to phrase it, top 10 list of the mascots. Well, then that got me to thinking about all the ways that we use kind of these top 10 lists. I mean, you want to go out to eat and you get on Yelp. And what does it give you? Seafood places? Here's the top 10. Or you want to go stay in a hotel somewhere and you get on TripAdvisor. And here's the top 10 places uh, that, that would recommend you to stay. Well, then I spent way too much time on the internet. Because then it got my curiosity up. And I found some crazy ones. Now, I hear this happens with couples, but I hear couples argue and fight. Now, I don't know that from experience, but I've heard that that happens. Top 10 reasons couples fight. One, they criticize how the other one cooks. Now, being a firstborn, being married to a firstborn, that doesn't really work out too well when we're both in the kitchen. Another reason, cleanliness. I guess you have one clean and one pig. I don't know. Parenting, I, I hear that's an issue for some of you. Uh, arguing about or fighting about holidays and finances. There's even a top 10 list of the most illegal or used uh, illegal exotic pets. On that list, maybe you have owned a lemur from time to time. It's on that list if you've ever owned one, and you, I guess you shouldn't. Now, I would be this. I would love to have the next one, a sloth. I think that would be the most entertaining thing in the world. Now, I have two that wake up in the morning and they move like sloths. But, man, how cool would that be? The number one illegal pet, owls. I've never owned anybody that owned one. But the internet wouldn't lie to me. And it says that owls were the number one illegal exotic pets that people keep. Well, then I found the ten strangest things in the world. There's an island in Japan... It's covered in rabbits. And you can go and, I guess, play with the rabbits. In Arkansas, we'd eat them, but there, I guess, you go and live among them. Now, if you've been to the Bahamas, maybe you have been here. There is an island you can go and swim with pigs. 
Now, we eat them in Arkansas also and in East Texas. But his has to be the strange one. In England, there is a bus, and kids, it's called the poo-poo bus. And this bus runs on exactly what it is named after. Now, I haven't seen it. Maybe you have 10 strangest things in the world. But now, more seriously, if I was to send you home, sit down over lunch, and it gave you a top 10 list I want you to fill out. It's the top 10 reasons that you would have for praising God. Think for just a minute the things that you might put on that list. Here are the top 10 reasons of why I can praise God. Well, today, that's exactly what Paul is going to do for us. He's going to give us his top 10 reasons to praise God. And the cool thing is we're going to see the Trinity in action this morning. So Ephesians 1, 3 through 14, an interesting fact to know. When people have read and studied this, it's 220 words that we've read, and it's actually one long sentence in the Greek. In English, we break it up, but in the Greek, it's one long sentence. In fact, the passage that we're going to walk through is said it is called the greatest Greek sentence that's ever been written. And that's a tall order. But what I want us to remember this morning, we need to remember this. The Apostle Paul is writing this letter to the saints in Ephesus. And I think it takes a man who <clears throat> had such a life-changing experience to write such a life-changing letter. But we need to remember this. What you hold in your hands, what, what we are reading, it contains God's words. Scripture tells us it's inspired. It is God-breathed. So the actual words written down by guys like Paul, it comes from the very mouth of God that we are hearing this morning directly from God. So look at verse 3. Reason number one he's going to lay out. And this is how it reads again. Blessed be the God. And what that means, it means praise be to God or God be blessed. And then he's going to begin laying out his top ten list. In God the Father, our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. So Paul's first reason for praising God, he says, is because God has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So you see, God the Father, the first person of the Trinity, he has blessed us with every spiritual blessing. So let me ask you, do you actually feel blessed by God? I think often when we think about that, we, we kind of go to the material things. Well, I would, one thing would be on my list would be all of you, this church, my family. We're thankful for our vehicles, a roof over our head. If we have money in the bank, jobs and health. And when that's gone, you realize how important that is. But there's two things I want us to see about spiritual blessings. First is this. Notice what it says. It says, we are blessed all together in this. That even though we might have different portions of material blessings, this is something that we all have 
absolutely together. Meaning, know how different we are. This is something that we all share. We all have what we need, and we have the same spiritual blessings. But the second thing we have to ask is, what does Paul mean? What does he mean by this idea of spiritual blessings? Well, it's this, it's that God has blessed every believer with every spiritual benefit necessary for his or her spiritual well-being. Meaning you and I have been blessed with everything that we need for this spiritual life that we are called to. Everything that we need, we already have. In fact, Charles Spurgeon says it this way. He that gives us heaven will surely give us all that is needed on the road toward heaven. That we have everything that we need for this spiritual life that we're called to. Well, then he's going to expound on those blessings. Look at verse 4. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. So Paul says, number two on my list are the top ten time things to praise God for is we praise God because he chose us. Meaning before anything existed, we were on God's mind. Before the earth was created, before Adam and Eve were formed, before the fall of humanity, before you and I took our very first breath, that God had actually chosen, or the word predestined, That we would be holy and blameless in his presence. Think about that. Before the foundation of the world. That before sin ever entered the world. God already had a plan. Well then this brings us to this idea of God's choosing and God's election. And I know. I know this makes some very uncomfortable. Um, Lots of emotions come with that. So just bear with me, okay? We're going to walk through this very important truth. But notice, this is not the first time we've talked about God's choosing or election. If you were here through our Romans series, we definitely saw it in chapter 9. We saw it in verse 11. So whether we like it or can even understand it, election is taught in the Bible. In fact, every New Testament author, Paul, Peter, Luke, John, even Jesus, Spoke on this. So let me give you just a couple of examples. Paul in Acts 13. Peter's actually recounting what Paul said in Antioch. And he says, As many were appointed to eternal life, believed. In fact, Peter in his first letter, he says, To those who are elect. In his second letter, he urges the readers to make their calling and election sure. Jesus in John 15 plainly says, In love, you did not choose me. I chose you. In fact, he goes on to say, all that the Father gives to me will come to me. And whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. Earlier in John 6, Jesus says, no one can come to me unless it is granted by the Father. So election is the Bible's teaching, not man's. And that's why it's so hard To maybe understand and comprehend and even accept because it pushes back against our our thinking. But the doctrine of God's choosing and election, what it should actually do, it actually should bring us great encouragement. 
It should actually drive us with confidence as believers. So let me say some things about this doctrine. If you have a, a hard time reconciling election in your mind, um, if you find election hard to accept, that's okay. It is. It's absolutely okay to feel that way. So here's what we have to do. We have to start with what we can know. We have to look at what we can understand and what we should accept. And here are some things from Scripture. All sinners, you know what you and I deserve? We deserve rejection by God. That's what we deserve. And we need to start there. The second thing is God is under no obligation to choose anyone. The Scripture says that He freely chose some, and this is evidence of His great grace. If God did not take the initiative, if God does not act first, no one would be saved. Why is that? Romans 3 tells us all are lost and it says no one seeks God. So the lost, left to their own, would never seek after God. And this includes you and it includes me. So God had to act first. In fact, we have no right to claim God's grace. We're all sinners deserving nothing but God's wrath. So I think the real question, or maybe the problem, is not why does God choose some, but why did God choose any? When we think about that, there is no room for pride. It is only humility and hopefully thanksgiving. But I know some of the questions. I even wrote them down. Well, do I not have any part in my salvation? What about free will and, and man's responsibility? I've heard this one. Well, if everything's just decided, does that just then make us robots? If God's every, got everything already determined? So let me answer the first two, and I'll answer the last one in just a minute. We have to understand there's actually two perspectives to salvation. There's the perspective of our point of view. It's how we experience it. I heard the gospel at age eight or nine. I was convicted of my sin and I didn't want to go to hell. And I made this decision to confess my sins and to trust in Jesus Christ. And that's from our perspective. That's what we know. But there's another point of view. There's another perspective that we just read about that God chooses before the foundations of the world. So yes, we are called, we are urged to believe and to trust in Christ. Without that, hear me, there would be no salvation. So what about free will or say human responsibility? How does God's sovereignty and free will or human responsibility, how do those work together? Well, it doesn't have to be just one or the other. Think of it this way. Think of two tracks on a railroad track. These two tracks are set in place that carry this train to its destination. If you try to only run on one track, you're never going to get there. If you move those rails too far apart, you're going to come off. Or if you put them any closer, it's not going to take you anywhere. Or think of it this way. If I was to take this ceiling and, and put a big pulley put a rope through that pulley and I grab a hold of both sides of this rope and if I just cling to one side 
Rope's just going to come through that pulley and I'm simply going to fall to the ground. It takes me holding both of these truths together. So the Bible teaches election or God choosing. The Bible also teaches that we must trust in Christ, urging people to believe. We must cling to both ropes. But I know this can be mind-boggling. I'll never forget my second year of seminary at DTS, studying through a lot of these New Testament books and coming to these truths and not being able to reconcile them. And I remember going home and saying, hey, I think I'm done. I don't know what is going on, but I, I can't understand any of this. But listen how Warren Wiersbe says it. And I think he's correct. Try to explain election and you may lose your mind. But try to explain it away and you may lose your soul. So if you're a believer, God's choosing. He should bring us praise like it does for Paul. But keep going. Look at number th- reason number three. In love, he, God, predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ. You see the second part of the Trinity, the Son coming in, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, and with which he has blessed us, In the beloved. So Paul says, number three on my list of praising God is we praise him because he has adopted us. He says, in love, God predestined us. This word predestined, it means to determine beforehand. That we have been predestined, and notice to what? To adoption as sons through Jesus Christ. So once again, I know this is one of those words that can make us nervous. The doctrine of election and predestination. It can be difficult, very difficult to understand and and to comprehend and to hold some of these truths this way. But now it comes to the previous question. Well, doesn't this just, if God decides everything, then what are we even doing? Does this just make us going through the motions or does this make us kind of like robots? Well, I want to read you an example by A.W. Tozer. He says, a large ship, it leaves New York for England. Its destination, it has been determined by the proper authorities. And nothing can change it. This is at least a, a faint picture of God's sovereignty. And aboard that ship are scores of passengers... They're not in chains. Neither are their activities determined to them by decree. They're completely free to move about as they will. They eat. They sleep. They play. They lounge around the deck. They read. They talk. And all together as they please. But all the while the great ship is carrying them steadily toward and onward to a predetermined port. Both freedom And sovereignty are present here. And they do not contradict. So it is, I believe, with man's freedom and the sovereignty of God. The mighty liner of God's sovereign design keeps its steady course over the sea of history. 
But then we have to be asking, am I saying that God saves them people against their will? God just determines it and there's nothing else that would happen. There's nothing else they need to do. And hear me say no. You know, there's two people you never see in Scripture. You never see a person that wants to be saved that isn't. And you never see a person who doesn't want to be saved that is. We are never saved against our wills, kicking and screaming. But the truth is our wills first must be changed because no one seeks God. We would never love or follow or trust him in that state. Well, then Paul moves to reason number four on this list. Look at verse seven. In him, we have redemption through his blood. Paul says, number four, we praise God because he has redeemed us. So God the Father chooses us to be blameless and holy. He predestines us to adoption as sons. And then God the Son redeems us through his blood. And this is such a great word. It's, it's this act of, of purchasing sinners from bondage and paying the price for them. He purchased us from bondage in order to release us from our former slave master of Satan and sin. And Paul says, that makes my list. But then he goes to number five. The forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. And Paul says, number five, we praise God because he has forgiven us. That our debt has been forever canceled by the infinite riches of his grace. Not because you deserve it. Not even because you ask for it. Not because you try really hard. It's because God is gracious. Well, then he moves to number six in verse eight. It says, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. And Paul says, number six on my list, my top ten, we praise God because he lavishes his grace on us. And you know that word, that is that unmerited, that, that undeserving, unearned merit that we could ever receive. And the truth is, we need to be reminding ourselves, we don't deserve anything from God. The only thing we deserve is condemnation and wrath. That's the only thing that you and I have ever earned or deserved. But notice, not only do we receive grace, he says God gives it lavishly. It means this idea of it's grace upon grace upon grace upon grace. And notice how he does it. He says in all wisdom and insight. And God isn't just kind of freely giving it out there on some whim. He says with perfect wisdom. Meaning God knows exactly what we need and when we need it. With perfect insight. That God knows all. He knows how undeserving we are and he shows us grace. And he never gets tired of it. But Paul's not done praising. Look at verse 9 and 10. Making known to us the mystery of his will. According to his purpose 
which is set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on the earth. So Paul says reason number three to praise God is we praise him because he has made known the mystery of his will. And what Paul's talking about, it's, it's this idea of something was, was held secret, it was veiled. And then there came this time that the veil was lifted, the, the secret was known. What he's talking about, what was once hidden in the Old Testament, God's redemptive plan. When you move to the New Testament through Jesus Christ, he says it is now, it is made visible. Grace is made visible. God's plan, the mystery, the veil has been lifted. And that causes Paul to praise. But then he moves to verse 11 and 12 for reason number eight. He's, In him we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. So Paul says, number eight on my top ten list to praise God would be because he provided an eternal inheritance for us. That God gives an eternity, an inheritance for all eternity. Meaning there's an inheritance for believers that it cannot be reversed. It can't, no, no take backs. But notice this, it's according to the purpose of his will. Who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What a great picture of God's sovereignty. That God, he is all sovereign not partially, but it also shows us the one thing you never want to hear from maybe your barber or your hairdresser. You never want to hear them say, oops. <laughs> to think about it, with the God that we love and serve, we do not have to worry that God will ever make a mistake. He will never have to worry about that with him. We never have to worry about God getting bad device on a decision he needs to make. He doesn't have to counsel with anyone. And he is never at a loss for what to do. Because even before centered into the world, God had a plan. Well, then he begins rounding the corner with reason number nine in verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation and believed in him, you were sealed with the promise of the Holy Spirit. So reason number nine, Paul says that I can praise God is because he has sealed me. He has sealed me by the Spirit. And this sealing means God has marked me as his own. He has put his seal permanently on me. The believers no longer have to worry about their future with God. That there is nothing, there is nothing that we could do to cause God to change his mind. So God the Father chooses, God the Son redeems, and God the Spirit seals. And Paul says, I praise God for that. Then number 10. Who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the glory, to the praise of his glory. 
He says in number 10, we praise God because he guaranteed our inheritance. And it's like this. It's when I bought my first car. There's a friend of my dad going to make me a deal. A Subaru hatchback. So I went to this friend and I gave him some money. So this is my down payment on this car. He hands me the keys. This is the car is yours. And when I handed him that money, it was a down payment of a promise that there is more to come. That's what Paul is saying here, that God has made a pledge to you. He's made a promise. And the down payment is the Holy Spirit that guarantees that the rest will follow. Meaning this, we can experience God's presence now. Listen, I experienced it over the last 10, 11, 12 days through all of you. But one day, we'll experience God in his absolute fullness. In this life, you can experience victory over some sin. But the promise is one day you will never have to experience sin again. You can experience some joy in this life. But the promise is that one day you will experience it in its fullness. For as believers, we have a guarantee from God himself that the best is yet to come. And so for me, when I read through this list of top 10 reasons for Paul. Man, it should make our hearts swell with praise like it does Paul, thinking this is a guy sitting in prison in Rome, chained to a guard. And if he needed to, I think Paul could have came up with 50 reasons to praise God. Even him sitting in prison, chained to a guard, he was full of praise for what God has done and what he will do. So for us, I think it means this. No matter what is going on, no matter what is going on in our lives, there's always something we can praise God for. And that should be a great source of power for all believers. So when we struggle as Christians, if you ever feel like a failure at this, Everybody else has got it all together, but man, I'm the one that's falling behind. You remind ourselves that God has blessed you with every spiritual blessing. And everybody shares in that. It isn't just a few, all believers. Have you ever had a moment where you doubt if God really cares? Have you ever had that moment where you go, is God really for me? We remind ourselves that he has adopted us as sons and daughters. When we feel like we've made such a mess of things, and how in the world, I know it's my fault, but how in the world can God fix this? We remind ourselves that he has redeemed us. And then when we've sinned again and again, after promising all the things that we'll do right, we remind ourselves that we are forgiven when we think about maybe we've used up all of our chances. And there's no way. Man, I've, I've done this so many times. There's no way God is just going to give up on me because he knows I am a lost cause. We remind ourselves that God shows us grace upon grace upon grace. That he lavishes us with grace. And we have that friend or that family member we've been praying for for years to come to Christ. 
You can get to that place where you begin thinking, man, is this ever going to happen? We remind ourselves that through Christ, what was once a mystery has been known and made visible. Or when we wonder, we get in that really dark place and we wonder, is all this really worth it? And it sure seems like everybody else is a lot happier than I am. When we go weary of trying to do the right thing and follow Christ. You look at Paul's list and you remind ourselves that God has provided us an eternal inheritance that will outweigh anything this world can give us. Or maybe in those moments where we question our salvation because we look at our lives and we wonder, how can that be true of me? We remind ourselves that God chose me before the foundations of the world. We remind ourselves that God has sealed us by his spirit and we trust that God guarantees our inheritance himself. And so for me, I'll be honest, these past few weeks, have it was tough to get sick and then watch your wife get really sick, to pull your kids out of school for something you're not equipped to do, to your daughter not being able to go to work and her fiance having to take off work and it was tough. It was a little bit easier when everybody was quarantined, but you're sitting at home and everybody's going on about their life. But what it forced me to do, it forced me to slow down. It, it forced me to kind of hit the pause button for a moment. And I'm so thankful for those moments over the last few weeks to just take a breath and to read through this passage several times and to think about to reading through Paul's list of where he was at what he was going through and he, he still had time to find 10 reasons to praise the Lord so it reminded me no matter what is going on in my life the good, the bad, the ugly there is always something I can praise God for and when I do that I find a great source of power to go through those things. And so I hope this morning you can believe that also. Church, let's pray. Thanks again for listening to the podcast today. We hope that you were blessed and encouraged. And if you have any questions or comments, we want you to let us know. Simply send your thoughts to questions at Bethelbible.com. Thanks for spending time with us and be sure to join us next week on the Bethel Bible Podcast.